Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 44, The Broken City. Hannibal has just taken Castellinum as we begin to enter 215 BC, but we have a few more things to mention first. So to begin with, let's go down to the Toe of Italy, Brutium. Hannibal had been very successful in Brutium. Of the areas which had joined Rome's Italian confederation, the most recent were the Gauls in the Po Valley. We've already seen how they were so keen to abandon the Romans, and the Greeks in the south, the area known as Magna Graecia. These Greeks would not prove very loyal, and after Cannae, many cities abandoned Rome and came over to Carthage. In fact, only a few cities in Brutium remained loyal to the Romans, including Petalia. Throughout the second half of 216, the Petalians had been hard-pressed, both by Carthaginians and the rest of the Brutians. The Brutians resented Petalia, and felt betrayed that they had not followed their lead. Needing help badly, the Petalians sent messengers to Rome, and they made their case before the Romans. They were told they would have to defend themselves. Rome was extremely hard-pressed, as it was. The Pestilian ambassadors, who had been relying on support to save their town, broke down in tears. This greatly moved the people and the senators, and they allowed them to make their case a second time. The senators examined all the Republic's resources, but found themselves unable to spare for anything. The Romans appreciated the loyalty of the city, and told them only to consider their own circumstances in the future. Word made its way back to Pessalia, where, understandably, the citizen body panicked. Expecting their doom, some argued they should abandon the city. Others, that, as they had been abandoned by Rome, they should join Hannibal. But the moderates prevailed. They pointed out that it would be reckless to make such an important decision in the heat of the moment. It would be best to postpone and decide another time. The assembly was dismissed and met again the next day, where they resolved to strengthen their defences and bring all movable property from the countryside within the town walls. They settled in for the coming storm. We'll now leave this storyline for the moment, and move back to Rome, where they were discussing a rather large problem, the lack of senators. The various battles of the Second Punic War, notably Cannae, had hugely reduced the number of senators. Typically, there were about 300. One-tenth of these had been killed at Cannae alone. There had not been a drawing up of senators since 222 BC, Six years ago. So, if you take into account all those that had died of old age, those who had died in battles other than Cannae, then those who were serving around Italy and the Mediterranean, the Senate was probably down to under a hundred regular attending, with 170 vacancies. They needed refilling. Spurius Carvilius made a proposal. Because there were so few senators, 
and so few good Romans to replace them, they should take two Latins from each Latin community and make them senators. This was incredibly controversial. The Romans did not want their allies in the Senate, and Quintus Fabius Maximus issued a scathing attack on the proposal. The allies were already unsettled, and their loyalty suspected. They did not need to be aggravated with such proposals. The best plan of action would be to act like this conversation never took place. Never mention it again. Indeed, the proposition was dropped. This reads very oddly to a modern audience. I happen to think it would be an excellent way of securing allied loyalty. To fight Hannibal's PR kindness with some of their own. But Carvilius was just ahead of his time. Instead, they decided to take another measure. Varro was summoned to Rome to name a dictator who would draw up a list of new senators. At this point, Marcus Junius Pera was still in office as dictator, so this must have happened within six months of Pera being appointed, placing this around December of 216 or January of 215. It is all very confusing getting an exact chronology, but I'm trying my best. So, Varro rushed back to Rome from Apulia, and appointed Marcus Fabius Butio as dictator for six months without a master of horse. Butio went to speak in the Senate House, and had several complaints. He did not approve of two dictators being in office at the same time. He did not approve of not having a master of horse. He did not approve of one person being given the power of censor and he did not approve of the dictatorship being granted for six months for any reason other than leading a military campaign. In short, he did not approve. But this didn't stop him taking the command. To reduce controversy, he did not show any preference to individuals, but instead made appointments based on office held those who had held the senior magistracies since the last censorship, then the curale deles, then the people's deles, the tribunes of the plebs, and the quaestors. Finally, as all these figures, who had not previously been senators, were still not enough to fill the senate's ranks, he resorted to those who had spoils from the enemy hung on their houses, or who had won the civic crown. Having named these officials, he immediately resigned from office and stepped down from the roster. He then killed some time in the forum, chatting with people doing their business, as he didn't want people to follow him out of the forum when he left. This plan didn't work, and he was followed out anyway, by people interested in this man who had ever so briefly been the most powerful man in the Republic. Varro left the following night without informing the Senate. He didn't want to be delayed by elections, and wanted to get back to the field. The Senate now worked towards making plans for 215, and invited Pera, his master of horse, Gracchus, along with the praetor Marcellus, to come to Rome and fully explain the situation to the Senate, as well as holding elections. 
all three answered the summons, and immediately made for Rome. Pera was very humble, offering much praise to Gracchus. Although, from what I've read, Pera seemed to do very little. He barely featured in the narrative. So perhaps this is more honesty than humility. Elections were held, and Gracchus was elected consul for 215 BC, perhaps as a reward for his good work as master of horse, along with Lucius Postumius, who had been consul twice before. Four praetors were elected, Marcus Valerius Livinus, Appius Claudius Pulcher, Quintus Fulvius Flaccus, and Quintus Mucius Scaevola. Appius Claudius Pulcher's name should be familiar to you. He was one of the tribunes who took charge after Cannae, along with Scipio Africanus. Pera went back to his army in the south while Gracchus stayed in Rome to prepare for his consulship. Things were not going so well for his fellow consul-elect. Postumius was commanding the armies in the north. He had two legions with him and a number of allies, giving him a total force of 25,000. The Gauls there were preparing an ambush, and weakened the trees in a patch of forest, and pushed them over when the Romans were marching through. Many legionaries were killed by the falling trunks, many were startled and killed by waiting Gauls. The end result was another horrific disaster for Rome, with the consul designate and almost 25,000 troops being killed. Rome again went into a state of mourning. The reaction to this loss somehow feels worse than the others. We've seen the streets filled with worrying families, desperate to know what had happened to their sons and husbands. It was different this time. The shops were all closed. Everyone stayed at home. It was like a scene from a post-apocalyptic movie. Nothing is quite as eerie as an empty city. I can't quite explain it, but it feels worse. Not like a city panicking, but a city broken. After a few days of this, the Senate ordered the Adiles to go round the city, ordering shopkeeps to open for business. Gracchus, who, trying to be encouraging, spoke with a grim determination. If they had not collapsed after Canai, they would not let this beat them now. He hoped that if they could be successful against Hannibal, their prime target, then the Gallic theatre could be placed on the back burner. He and Marcellus both gave detailed accounts of troop positions in the south, and it was decided that, for 215, they would have to abandon the campaign in the north. We can see the Roman focus being narrowed on central Italy, with the north and the south being abandoned. Though they were still fighting the war in Sicily, and in Spain. So, with this sub-theatre not being taken into consideration, they could now decide what to do with their resources. 
Gracchus would lead Pera's army in Campania. Marcellus would take the survivors of Cannae to Sicily, where he would fight with the rank of proconsul, along with the praetor Appius Claudius Pulcher. A new consul would be elected ASAP, and would raise two legions. The two legions would be brought back from Sicily, and also serve under his command. Varro's command would be uninterrupted in Apulia. Quite clearly, Cannae had not tarnished his reputation. Things were also unchanged in Spain, where the Scipio brothers had divided their command, Publius controlling the fleet, and Gnaeus the land forces. Marcellus went to conduct a troop transfer in Campania, and once he returned, he was made a colleague of Gracchus. The people had a very high opinion of him, as he managed to achieve victories after Cannae, unlike most others. However, there was thunder, as Marcellus was elected. To the deeply superstitious Romans, this was a terrible omen. The gods must be angry that two plebeian consuls had been elected. So, Marcellus resigned, and was replaced by our old friend, Quintus Fabius Maximus. We have one final event of 216, or should I say early 215. That's when all this was happening. Starving, the resistance at Petilia finally collapsed. The Brutians moved along to Consentia, which fell within two days. Next, they moved on to Croton. Once a powerful city, but now extremely weak. It too fell with remarkable speed. Next was Locri, and finally, only Regium, on the tip of Italy's toe, remained. So, as we get into 215, do you have all that? The Roman consuls are Gracchus and Fabius, both fighting in Campania. Fabius led Pera's old army, while Gracchus commanded slave volunteers and 25,000 allies. Marcellus, as pro-consul, aided by the praetor Appius Claudius Pulcher, was commanding affairs in Sicily. Varro was commanding the Roman force in Apulia, Publius Scipio is controlling the Spanish fleet, and Gnaeus the Spanish army. The Roman campaigns in North Italy and the Toe of Italy have been abandoned due to lack of resources. I think that sums up everything quite nicely. So, 215 BC. What's going on? The 300 companions who had been serving in Sicily for Rome, we mentioned them before Capua rebelled in episode 41, returned to Rome and were made Roman citizens. Fabius, determined to continue his defensive policy, ordered all grain to be brought within the towns by June 1st. Those that didn't would have their farms ravaged. And then, another incredibly complicated series of troops redeployments happened. Varro was given command further north at Bicenum, with troops he was to raise there. Varro's force would be given to the command of one of his officers, and moved south to Calabria, where Tarentum and Brundisium were to be protected. One of the praetors who was commanding part of the Campanian army, Valerius, was sent with his legions to Apulia, to fight that region of the war. So, we have in command in Italy, 
Fabius and Gracchus in Campania, no one in Brutium, Varro's old force in Calabria, Valerius in Apulia, and Varro in Picenum. I seriously hope you've got all that. This is a convenient place to pause, as for the first time in a while, our attention will turn to the east. All this fighting was getting the attention of another power, Philip V of Macedon. If you've enjoyed the show, why not check out my other podcasts, A History of Alexander the Great, Remastered, and The Arab Spring, A History. Leaving some nice reviews for both would be greatly appreciated. You can also support the show by buying a copy of the book, A History of Alexander the Great, on Amazon Kindle, or maybe some podcast t-shirts, is more your think. The history of podcast.spreadshirt.co.uk. There are also the usual ways to visit us online, the history of podcast.blogspot.com, facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast, twitter.com forward slash the history of pod, youtube.com forward slash the history of podcast, the history of podcast at gmail.com, and instagram.com forward slash Jamie Redfern. I'm sorry to say there will be no new episode next Sunday, as I will be in London for the podcast meetup, 4pm, the George Inn, London, if you're thinking of attending. But I'll see you in two weeks, when we'll see just what influence Philip V will have on this war.